If you will, turn in the copy of God's Word that you have to Zechariah 6, where we are today. This is also called a postscript. Maybe even in uh, your translation, sometimes they'll have little headings. It may say postscript. I don't know if that's the best title for this section. Um, when I was in school, there was an urban legend went around. Mark, they may still have this urban legend that some kid stole the answers to, all the math, to the math test. He got away with it. That kid, you know that kid? Nobody did know him. But the legend, his legend is huge. And you would go into that math test and you'd be stressed and you'd be fretting. And man, only if you had the answers that that kid had walked away with. Clean. Well, I think Zechariah 6, 9 through 15, it's not so much a postscript. So uh, he's been looking at these visions, these night visions that he's had, right? And we've seen uh, that the enemies of God's kingdom, they're going to get their justice done upon them. That the suffering people of God, they are going to enter into the fullness of redemption and blessing. We have seen that the temple of God is at last going to be built, not with bricks and mortar, but from people converted, worshiping the living God. And so to call this a postscript would kind of be like, and here's some extra details, here's some extra information. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think this is more like an answer key. This is the answer key to the biggest question, the question that's carried all, through all those night visions. There is still a question that hasn't been answered, and that is, how is God's kingdom going to come? How is it going to happen? Yeah, we know these things are going to occur, but how? How's it going to happen? And so Zechariah 6, 9 through 15 is God's answer key to this big question, how will the kingdom come? How's it going to happen? And here's these verses. And I want you to look at that text with me. And what we're going to do is we're going to uh, walk through these verses. And then I want to do something very Puritan-like. And not preach for three hours, but I want to walk through these verses, but then just some applications, okay? So we're just going to walk through the text, what happens, and then we're going to work out applications from this text, things that, is, that stand out for us. So starting in verse 9, and we'll read down through verse 15. And the word of the Lord came to me, take from the exiles of Heldai, Tobijah and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold, and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. For he 
shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helam, Jobijah, Jediah, and Han, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Here's the answer key. Not in apocalyptic visions like um, Zacharias had throughout the course of this night. Now the word of the Lord comes to him in a command. He tells this prophet, you're going to act out this drama, this earthly drama. You're good. I want you to do something. You're going to act this out, okay? And notice these three men, he's supposed to meet them. Heldai, Jobijah, Jediah. And they're called, notice verse 10, exiles who have come from Babylon. So maybe, uh, we, we don't actually know who these men are, but it seems to be that they're only going to be in Jerusalem for a temporary time, that perhaps even they have brought gifts to the suffering people of God in Jerusalem from back in Babylon. Okay? So they brought these gifts to the people. However you explain their presence, and whatever their reason for being in the city is, Zechariah, we see, is supposed to take from them silver and gold and he's supposed to fashion this crown and and right here the text is tricky because the uh, uh, word for crown is plural but all the verbs around it are going to be singular and so how many crowns are there i think the best way to understand it there's silver and there's gold so if you can imagine two circlets. It's one crown, but it's got different parts. And part of it's going to be gold, part of it's going to be silver. But that's not the really perplexing thing here. The most, the most difficult thing here is what happens. You, notice what Zechariah is told to do with the crown. This crown's made of silver and gold, but what he does with it would have been very unsettling, very perplexing, very confusing to all those that are watching it. So he's supposed to stage a coronation. Poor Josiah's living room here, right? So imagine, Josiah's got no idea what happens when the doorbell rings and there's Zechariah and these three guys from Babylon. He's got no idea what's about to happen. But Zechariah stages this coronation right in Josiah's home. And Zechariah is to set that crown 
If you, now, if we're talking about a coronation, you'd think it would go on the head of, we've already seen people who's there, some people, Zerubbabel. Remember Zerubbabel? He's the descendant of David. He is currently the governor of uh, Jerusalem right now. He's acting that way. He's overseeing the temple project. We've already been told that he is going to finish this building project. And rebuilding the, the temple, that's the work of the king. I mean, David, Solomon, they built the first temple. Certainly their heir is going to be the one who, to rebuild the temple after the exile. So by right, Zechariah should be setting this crown upon the head of Zerubbabel. But he doesn't, does he? He doesn't put the, the crown on Zerubbabel's head. He crowns not the son of David from the line, uh, tribe of Judah, but he crowns a son of Aaron from the tribe of Levi, a priest. We've already seen the high priest Joshua, haven't we? How come Joshua gets the crown? How come Joshua is a, he's in the tribe of Levi. Why, why does he get to wear the crown? Why does he get to be the king? And so you can imagine right now, uh, Heldai, Jobijah, uh, Jedediah. Hey, doesn't Zechariah know it's supposed to be David's heir on the throne? Does, the priest, he's from the line of, he's Aaron's line. This is, this is, he's a Levite. He, he doesn't belong on the throne. We know Zerubbabel's going to rebuild the temple, remember? Uh, imagine the shocked faces, but I'd like to imagine those shocked faces like, what's he doing? Those shocked faces turn into beautiful smiles and relief and sighs of relief. When Zechariah says in verse 12, Behold the man who is the branch. The branch, the title, the descendant of the king of David, the, the coming Messiah. That's, the, that's this term, the branch. Isaiah spoke of the days when Isaiah 11 once says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, David's family, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This remnant from the family of King David, from, from, from this remnant, a branch is going to come forward. He's, he's going to restore the royal line, or, or even as the, my brother read from Jeremiah earlier. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. He will deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. Who is the branch? Well, the branch is the Messiah in the line of David. And so this group in Josiah's living room here, oh, they can breathe a collective sigh of relief because Zechariah's not crazy and he's not out of line here. When they hear that the branch is the one who this crown is for, they, they, they realize, okay, okay, this isn't really about Joshua the high priest. This is symbolic. Joshua here, he's filling in. It's not about Joshua the high priest. It's about the branch. 
It's about the branch who is from the tribe of Judah. Joshua's not a son of David. He's not the branch. Someone else is in view. Someone else is going to be the branch. And so this is a symbolic coronation. Maybe you watched Charles' coronation yesterday. Lots of symbolism in the coronation of the king. You had the orb with the cross on top. Uh, uh, Christendom, right? The, the, uh, the church in the world. You had the, the swords of judgment and justice. He's going to wield those and execute the, the crown and the state having both uh, religious, bring, keeping uh, religion and justice and order together. Lots of symbolism. It's a beautiful symbolism. Well, this is a symbolic coronation. And it teaches God's people about the coming king. It teaches God's people about the branch. The kingdom of God. How it's been promised. But how's it going to come about? How's this kingdom going to come? What's going to come through the branch? Notice verses 12 and 13. Zechariah tells us here three things about this coming king. Do you see the task of the branch, the task of this coming king? It says, he shall branch out from his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. That's what, he's going to do what kings do. He's going to build the temple. Look at verse 13. Look at his dignity and honor, his regalness. Verse 13, it is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor. Oh, this is no, this is no tribe of Levi. This is the royal king. This is God's king. This is God's king who God sets on his holy hill. This is the Messiah. So he's not just going to complete the building of, of the temple. He's going to ro- rule and majesty and honor and splendor and look at his calling verse 13 he will rule on his throne so he's going to preside over his kingdom he's going to govern he's going to defend his people he is going he is the king of the kingdom and it's the branch who's going to do this here Here's the answer, King. How's God's kingdom going to come? It's going to come through the branch. The branch is the king. The king's going to do it. The king, the royal king. And then at the end of verse 13, we find out, we discover here, here's why Joshua the high priest, rather than Zerubbabel, the son of David, is the best choice in this symbolic coronation. Look at verse 13. There shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. The branch, the Davidic king, he's going to sit on his throne and rule. That's what you would expect the Davidic king to do. Yet, on that throne is also what? A priest. A priest. These two ministries. The king and the priest brought together in perfect harmony in one person. 
the king and the priest. Here's why we've got a double crown. It's the king and the priest come together. That, that gold and the silver crown that is resting on Joshua's head. One crown. But there's going to be one man who's going to come. And he's going to fulfill office of priest and the office of king. He's going to combine the two. It's a dramatic picture. He's coming. One person, both a priest and a king. He's going to rule on the throne. He's going to have royal dignity and majesty. He's going to build the temple. He's going to do all the things that a king should do. He's going to protect his people. But he's going to build his kingdom not with the force of arms and military might or political machinations. What's he going to do? He's going to build his kingdom as a priest. Friends, it's a picture of Jesus. See that? Just as our brother set it out at the beginning. It's a picture of Jesus. It's, it's crystal clear. Here's the gospel truth setting forward from Zechariah chapter 6. Here is the gospel in all of its clarity that Jesus is the king and Jesus is the priest. That's the argument back in Hebrews chapter 7. Remember, there's a, we're told there that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Remember that? Melchizedek, he was the high priest of Yahweh. He was not from the line of Levi. He was a high priest though, and he was the king of Salem. King of peace. Here's Jesus, the priest king. In the line, in the order of Melchizedek. He's the one who builds the true temple. True temple, not, not, not by the hands of these returned exiles led by Zerubbabel that's going to be uh, in a few short years, um, uh, there will be a building standing there. No, 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 no. This temple, Jesus is going to come and he's going to build this temple and it's going to be made with the lives of sinners whom he has shed his blood for and he redeems and he's going to bring them all together. And 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5 says, As we come to Jesus, we are living stones built up as a spiritual house. Or as Paul says, Paul says, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together grows, Paul says, into a holy temple in the Lord. He says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2. Jesus is building the temple, but it's not with bricks and mortar. It's through the redeemed. Those who've been redeemed from their sins, he's bringing them in like living stones, and he's building a, a dwelling place for God. From these 
sinners saved by grace. Jesus is building a temple for God which, in which he dwells by spirit. It's a place where he is worshipped. He's building, he's constructing it from the lives of men and women, boys and girls. Bringing them in. They're brought into his church through faith in the gospel. And all of it, how does he accomplish all of it? By the means of the cross. Through sacrifice. Through the work of a priest. That's how he does it. That's why the king who builds the temple, he rules in majesty, is also a priest on the throne. Jesus would say to his opponents, remember in John chapter 2 verse 19, when Jesus says to his, his opponents, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. And the Jews, remember what the Jews said? Ah, oh, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? And John's comment, do you remember John's comment? John says, ha, ha, ha. But he was talking about the temple of his body. Just like the temple of Solomon, destroyed by the Babylonians before the exile, the temple of Jesus' body is going to be destroyed at the cross. And the ruined temple of Zechariah's day likewise, it, that temple was going to be rebuilt. But that's only a shadow of the true temple of Jesus' resurrection that it will provide. And in three days, the true temple where God and sinners meet in fellowship and in worship and in love, where, where the, uh, the wall of partition between God, a righteous, holy God and, and ruined, fallen sinners, that wall is abolished in Christ. And he's raised. And it's, it's rebuilt when Jesus rises in victory and triumph over the grave, friends. It's the temple that Jesus builds. That's what he builds. The center in which now God dwells with his people. And his people worship him. It's constructed. How? By the means of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Christ crucified and Christ raised from the dead. How will the kingdom come? What's, what, what's, what's the answer God say? It's going to come through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ nailed to a cross. It's going to come from Jesus Christ who is risen from the dead. The crown, the symbol, and the union of those two offices, the, the, the king and the priest, together in this one man, the priest king, the Lord Jesus. We're told that that crown is going to be lodged in the second temple. That temple's going to be, be rebuilt. And it's going to serve as a reminder to Helam, to Tobijah, to Jedidiah, and to Hen. You say, why the difference? probably the same people, all right? Just different spellings of the names there. The same men mentioned back in verse 10. So you've got the three exiles and Josiah. 
It's going to be a testimony to them that the Savior, that the priest king, that God's Messiah, the righteous branch, he's coming. <laughs> he's coming. It's going to be a reminder to them that the one who by all rights this crown belongs, he's coming soon. And he does come, doesn't he? Remember, when Jesus is taken in the temple and godly Simeon sees him, he says, my eyes have beheld the consolation of Israel. The king has come. The one who's going to build the kingdoms here. The one who's going to build the real temple is here. That's where these verses take us. So let's look at some applications. Verse 15. Zechariah actually applies it for us. Here's the application of all this rich gospel truth. Those who are far off shall come. The coming priest king, the one who's going to uh, build the temple by means of sacrifice, the, the king who's going to build the temple through the work of a priest. You hear the application of that? Those who are far off, they're going to come. And they're going to help build the temple. Friends, this is a call to evangelism. This language here, this, uh, those who are far off, they'll come. That language, those who are far off, that's code for you, Gentile. That's who you are. You are far off. You are not from the people of God. You were not of the commonwealth of Israel. And Peter uses it in the sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 39, when Peter, he's preaching about the death, the resurrection of Christ, and he says, repent and be baptized for the promises for you and your children. And he says, for those who are far off, the gospel's going to the ends of the earth. This temple is not just going to be made up with some Jewish stones. But some Kentucky stones. And some Nicaraguan stones. And some Scottish stones. And some Arabic stones. And some Virginian stones and Texas stones. Some Bergen stones. Michigan stones. I forget all the places you've lived. <laughs> North Carolina stones. Cal California stones. He's bringing them all together. He's building this temple. They're gathered together into this kingdom of the Messiah. And it's stunning, right? Here, here are those who are far off. They're being gathered into the kingdom. And notice, they get to participate. <laughs> they get to participate the work of the branch in building the temple. Those whom Jesus saves, those whom Jesus makes his own, 
They are not just passive observers. Observers. They're not just along for the ride. They're not just passively watching as Jesus builds his kingdom. They're actively engaged in it, aren't they? They share in the work of building the temple. We become his agents for bringing good news to the world. What is it we take to the world? We tell them there is a king in Zion. So guess what? Bow the knee. There's a holy God and you've offended him. And the only way to have a right standing with that God is through the work of the priest. Christ, who was sacrificed for your sin. Be reconciled. We plead, as Paul says, be reconciled to God. Christ is the righteous branch. He's building his kingdom. Now, when we say that, we know, right? We don't save anyone. We can't save anyone. You can't open anybody's eyes. It's God who does that. He makes the blind eyes see. He calls the, those who are dead and trespasses and sins. He makes alive together uh, with Christ Jesus. He does that. First Peter, it is God... Who causes us to be born again. We love him. Why? John tells us. Because he first loved us. We know all, we can't cause anyone to believe. We share in this way. We proclaim Christ crucified. And Christ raised from the dead. We share in the gathering of these living stones. Not by saving them. But by declaring the one who can save them. That it is Jesus Christ. The chief cornerstone. Come. Come to Christ. Come to him. Come and you become a brick in the temple. Jesus is building this temple. through. So place your faith in his atoning priestly work. And then guess what? you got work to do. <laughs> then you've got some work to do. Those who are far off will come. And they're going to build the temple of the Lord. See the application? It's important. You know why it's important? Because there's men and women. And there are boys and girls. And they are lost. And they're heading into eternity without the Lord. And the sovereign Lord uses means. And the means by which he uses to save sinners is the proclamation of the gospel. You announce it. You share in it. You let it be known. There's this call, this summons. It, it, Here's what it says. You go find them. You go tell them. The, they're far off. They're going to come. You go tell them. You go. You bring them. You bring them to Christ. You, you announce the truth of the gospel. You, you bring them like stones from the quarry to the king who is building his temple. He's going to form them and shape them and structure them. And he's creating a dwelling place for God. We get to participate with the branch in the building of the temple. That's amazing. Now, I want to say here, usually when we, when we say uh, evangelism, 
that evangelism is a topic usually both sinners and Christians get nervous about. <laughs> usually we, everybody get a little nervous when we start talking. But notice this, we, we, like, we get intimidated or we get uneasy thinking sometimes about evangelism. Look what Zach, Zachariah sees this as an immense privilege. Do you know you're given an immense privilege? You get to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done? That's a privilege for each and every one of us. If you're his child, that's a privilege. It's yours. Don't neglect it. The branch himself, the priest king, the Lord Jesus, he is building his church. And he turns to you today, if you're a Christian, and he holds out his hand. He says, will you join me in the work? can't save, I'll save. Go tell them. Go tell them. Go tell them. Well, will you? That's the application. Will you tell them? Do you see it as drudgery, or do you see it like Zechariah in the biblical authors and throughout the narrative? Do you see that as a privilege that you get to share the Christ You get to do that. Second application. Proof of Scripture's inspiration, right? Divine inspiration here. Verse 15, he says, And you shall know, Zechariah says, that the Lord of hosts has sent me. So when the branch comes, when the people of God join him in the building of the temple work, taking the gospel to the nations, it will be a confirmation that Zechariah has in fact been a spokesman, the mouthpiece for Almighty God. It's authenticating Zachariah's role as a prophet. It is validating the truth of Holy Scripture. Because the branch has come. The Lord Jesus has come. He's bringing in those who are far off. He says, when you see him bringing in those who are fall off, far off, you will know. You will know when the branch comes and the temple's being built. The kingdom is expanding. You're going to know everything I've said has been true. So, some of you are going on some mission trips. When you go, you will be encouraged by many things. And you will be challenged in many areas. But I don't want you to miss this. When you go and you see Christians in a, a little village, or you go and you see Christians in a scheme, or you, or you go and you see Christians that they don't, they don't speak the way you speak, you'll be glad and you will say God is good. But the application here is God's word is true. Don't miss that. When you see people being saved from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, Zachariah says, you will know my word is true. The word of God is true. That God is really doing what he said he would do. Remember, Jesus Christ, he is the great demonstration. He came. He's saving sinners. Therefore, you can completely rely on the word of God. 
Because that's exactly what the Word said. God's Word is true. Evangelism, uh, the proof that God's Word is divinely inspired and true. Third application. Believer, do you hear me today? The third application is this. Obedience. Gospel obedience. God, it's a call to obedience. And they shall co- it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So the Lord accomplishes his design as his people take up the summons in faithful servant, uh, service. So the temple... The branch is building this temple. Uh, We share, we proclaim the truth of the gospel. It's being built by those who are far off and they're coming. And when they come, they busy themselves working for the Lord. The kingdom of God grows. The, The reign of Jesus Christ is extended when, when his servants live the way they're asked to live. As we're commanded to live. Gospel progress in the world and gospel holiness in the lives of the church are joined hand in hand. Do you know that? There's no, there's no secret tips in evangelism or in world mission. Progress of the gospel in the world and gospel holiness in us as Christ's people, those things go hand in hand. It matters that you obey the master. Do you know that? It matters that you obey Christ. You want to be an effective witness? Live a holy, faithful life. Those things are bound together. The progress of the gospel the progress of our own sanctification. They're linked. If God is going to do heart surgery on someone, he doesn't want to use filthy instruments, but clean ones. 1 Timothy 4.16. Paul tells Timothy, pay attention, you pay attention to your life and your teaching. Two things. What you believe, is it true? Is it God's word? And my life, how am I living? And you know what he tells Timothy? By this you will save yourself and others. <laughs> Those two things are linked. Your life, your teaching. A lot of folks, right, have right doctrine. Man, I, I want... I've been studying, here it is, here it is, here it is. I, I believe these things are true, but their lives are a wretched, wretched testimony. That's not what's being called for. Life and teaching. So friends, are you a clean instrument ready for the master's use? All of this will come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Do you work diligently to obey? Or are you just casual about the commands of Scripture? Are you diligent to obey the voice of the Lord your God? Because the priest king has come and he has summoned you and he has called you to this high privilege of service 
and a life of obedience. He's called you and said, take up your cross, follow me. He has called you and said, if you're not willing to leave uh, homes and lands and family for my sake, you're not worthy of me. Are you willing to follow him and live for him? Are you a ready servant? That's what he wants from you. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification. What did, what did the priest king give to redeem you? He died to make you his own. So, knowing that he did that, which command that he ever lays would be too much? Huh? If, if that's what Christ did for you, could he ask anything? You say, us? Oh, that's just asking too much, Jesus. Think of what he did for you. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. All of it. Give your life, all of it, to the priest king. Give it to him. Let these applications mark us as his people. If you're here and you're not a believer, there is a king who has come. Kiss the king, lest he turn in his wrath and you perish in the way. Look to him, he's your only hope. Christian, he calls you to evangelize. Trust his word. Obey him. Obey him all the days of your life. He's given himself to us to make us his. He calls us into his service. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we praise you. We thank you for the gospel. Concerning your son, Jesus Christ. King of kings and Lord of lords. The perfect sacrifice. For sinners like us. We look to Christ. He's our only hope. Help us live all our days in service to him. By your spirit, we ask. And in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask. Amen.